welcome again. It really is good to see all of you. I trust that you did have good holidays, good time of Christmas and New Year's with family and friends. Um, it's crazy to think in a new decade. It's always fun to say something like that. So looking forward to what 2020 holds. Um, before we get started this morning, just a couple quick things that I want to let you know about. Um, starting next week, we're really excited. We have a new series called Sandpaper People, which I'm looking forward to. Um, it's going to be about how how we deal with people that rub us the wrong way, and how we, in fact, also can be sandpaper people. So we're looking forward to that. And so um, a lot of stuff that we want to talk through this morning, um, but there's a passage that's been kind of resonating with my heart this past fall, uh, particularly as we think about how we've been able to help launch this campus. And so I'm really excited to share that about you. It's one of my uh, all-time favorite passages. Uh, it's, it's very challenging, but I hope that you'll see today that it's also equally, if not more so, encouraging to us. And so, uh, would you join me this morning in a word of prayer as we begin our time and move into God's Word together? Jesus, you've brought us into a new year. You, you give us a new day. All of that is because of you. We are here together this morning as a a group of people standing shoulder to shoulder together because of who you are. And God, may that this morning, uh, my prayer is that we be drawn closer to you, that in all things in life, um, the greatest thing that we can ever treasure is our relationship with you. And so, Father, no matter where people are this morning, uh, if they feel far from you, if they feel close to you, if they don't know you, regardless, may... May our time this morning through uh, time with each other, through singing, through your word, whatever it be, Father, may it help us draw closer to you. And may we experience the richness and the beauty of your love that you have for us. Father, I pray for the time this morning as we open up your word. Um, help me to be faithful to it. Help me to unpack it as, as you have intended. Um, because, God, your word is powerful and it's strong and it draws us close to you. And we profess that promise this morning. Amen. So I am not one for New Year's resolutions. Um, I, I've tried, I guess, in the past, uh, but I've never really been one. I have no problem with them. Um, I find that most people I talk to are not New Year's resolution people, but I respect those who are somehow able to do it. Um, one of the guys, a friend of mine back in Seattle, he, he made the greatest New Year's resolution of all time that he actually fulfilled, and that was to eat ice cream every day. And I thought, this guy gets it. He knows what it's all about. I think that could be one that I, I could get behind. But um, like I said, I'm not a huge New Year's resolutions fan. Um, I'm really more of a kind of make goals throughout the year as I see fit and try to stick to that, and I don't always stick to those. Um, but one of the things that I, I do really enjoy doing, and maybe some of you in this room are this way as well, but I, I do like to look back and reflect. And, and perhaps New Year's is, is certainly a, a great time for that, or the chance to look and think about the past 365 days. Um, 2019 for me is a year to remember for sure. Um, I can tell you that without going into too much detail that 2019 was one of the hardest years of my entire life but also one of the greatest. It's funny how those sometimes go together, isn't it? That sometimes the best things in life are met with some of the most difficult things in life, and that's been much of 2019 for me. 
Um, but, you know, one of the things that happens is I start to reflect and, and think through the year. And one of the things that I get so caught up and sidetracked in is I, I realize how quickly I can either go one way and get caught up in my own pride or I can go find myself get into the pits. I usually go into one or the other. Uh, I, I look at sometimes, you know, the good things, and I, and I look at them as accomplishments, and I, and I love to uh, build myself up. Or I look at the things that are re- have been really difficult, and I, and I automatically run to the idea of becoming bitter. But God has been really challenging me, particularly in the past couple weeks, about something. It reminded me about humility that there is far more happening in my life than I recognize at times. And, and the thing that he's been really hitting me is that no matter what, whether it was the good things or the bad things, that ultimately God was in control of all of it. That he was able to achieve the good and he led me through the bad. Certainly one of the biggest things of 2019 that was a good thing was the launch of this campus. Most of you in this room were a part of that with us. Um, and, and I would think that all of you that were would agree that this is a major thing to celebrate. That we are now just over two months old, if you can think about that. As, as an official campus, we're just over two months old. We're approaching the three-month mark as a campus. Um, there is so much more to go. And, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about what our continued vision of the Idlewild community here is going to look like, how we continue to plan to reach out into the community, as that's been the whole goal the time, this entire time. But nonetheless, I think if we pause and we reflect back, I think this is something to sell. This is a good thing. Uh, we use this phrase a lot that we, we want to create a local church that people love to come to and experience Jesus. That's my big passion. I, I want you to know that that's true for me. That I love this place. I love being here with all of you. And I, and I love being able to experience Jesus in different ways. And so this has been a really, really good thing, something to celebrate. But something struck me this past week that I reflected on. When, when all of you walked in the, the front doors, um, hopefully you saw a big white piece of paper that said, Pray for Idlewild. If you don't know what that is, um, when we had the prayer night... The, the Sunday before we launched, we had a prayer night up here to kind of dedicate this place. And one of the things that we did was we had people write out specific prayer requests that they, they had for this campus. And we put it on the other side of this wall, and we kept that. And we've had that hung up at our central offices ever since that day. And, and as I was kind of preparing this week, and I was thinking and reflecting, I, I look over at this wall, and I see this massive wall of prayers, and, and that's where it just kind of hit me, something very simple but a great truth, that everything we have here and beyond is 100% due to God's working through the faithfulness of people. That outside of him, we have nothing. It all comes down to, to the work of God. And that's really what I, I kind of want to focus on this morning, what the passage that we're going to look at will remind us, that all good things are the result of God working through the faithfulness of others. So if you have a copy of the scripture, I'd love for you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to just give a little bit of context into kind of what we're dealing with here. So um, For those of you in this room, you may be familiar with the book of Corinthians. It's written by the Apostle Paul, a a missionary who had gone out all throughout Europe 
um, to spread the gospel. And Corinth, one of the cities that he goes to, is a place that he helps start and establish a church. And after some years had passed, Paul had learned that there was a lot of issues that were facing the Corinthian church. In fact, if ever there was a church that had issues, I promise you it was this one. Please hear me. New City Church has issues. I will say that as a member of the leadership team. We have issues. We do not always get it right, okay? I will admit that openly, okay? And I'm not trying to compare us to the Corinthian church, but I do want you to understand something here, that if ever a church had issues, it was the church in Corinth. And Paul, as part of his ministry, knows that he, has, he needs to address some of that. And so he, he writes this letter, and there's a lot of issues that he addresses, but certainly probably the biggest issue that was facing the Corinthian, the Corinthian church was the amount of division that existed among the people themselves. In fact, the very first six chapters of the entire book deal with this issue. There was a massive division among people within the church. And as we know, whenever there's division among people, there's lots of issues that cause it. However, one of the major conflicts that really sets up this division that we're going to lose, that we're talking about is how the Corinthians had lost their devotion and focus on Jesus, and instead they exchanged it for an unhealthy attachment to people. And that would be particularly Paul himself and another person named Apollos, a, a person who came after Paul to help disciple and, and equip people to understand God and his word a little better. But in other words, what was happening is that members of this church were starting to split, they were picking sides, and they are basically saying, you know what, I like Paul better, he's my guy. No, 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 Paul's not that great, you should, Apollos is the man, you should listen to him more. And so what happens is this unnecessary divide starts to happen among people, and if we're honest, this is something we're still guilty of today, isn't it? That we, we sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture that, and please catch this, that the church is not built on human hands. It all rests upon the work of Jesus Christ and his continued work. Because remember, the church is God's plan for the gospel message. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, a great verse here, he says that we as believers our fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says that the idea of the cornerstone is where builders would start. Whenever you would build something, you would start with the corner. It became the central piece to where everything else is built around. And Paul said, that's where the church begins, Jesus. Jesus himself, in the book of Matthew, one of the, one of the best moments in the gospel of Matthew, there's a scene where Peter, or Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asks Peter, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am, though? And 
probably Peter's greatest line in the entire Bible. He looks at Jesus and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And because of that statement, Jesus is so pleased. He says, upon that statement of faith, I will build my church. It all comes down to what Jesus does and how he builds it. Jesus loves the church. Please remember this. No one loves the church more than Jesus does. He calls it his bride. And I understand, though, why some people say this. And in fact, I have said this, that, that sometimes we, we hear the phrase, yeah, I, Jesus is great. I just don't really like church and Christians that much. Listen, I, I've said it myself. But what I've had to realize is that, yeah, but you know what? You know who does love the church? The creator of the church, the cornerstone of the church, the man who said, this is the vessel I am choosing to spread my love into the world. We have to remember that. So there's this division. People are picking sides. They're losing sight of what actually is happening, that what Paul's ultimate vision for this is that he would start a church, it would begin to flourish, and that the people themselves would be going out into the community and spreading the gospel. Instead, they're not doing this in the church, they're doing this in the church. Remember, the gospel says go out into the world. You can't do that when this is happening. And that's why he writes back and says this. So let's look at how Paul addresses this issue. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 3, kind of the second part of uh, uh, verse 3. It says this, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, uh, I, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Talk about an incredible response to a a major issue, uh, this incredibly unhealthy division happening in the church. Paul does something here, and I want you to catch this, that most leaders are not willing to do, okay? He he starts off and he recognizes what's going on, but he does something that very few leaders, especially leaders with with a strong following, are willing to do, and that is he steps aside from his own glory and redirects it back to where it's supposed to go, and that is God himself. And so he, he asks these questions, right? He, he, he begins, and he, and he starts to talk about, you know, are you not, when, when you do these things, when you're acting jealous and being strife and have strife, are you not of the flesh? In other words, he's saying, are you not acting out of your sinful nature when you do that? And you're being merely human, meaning the Spirit is not working through you. For when one says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And then, I love this part. 
Paul can be really, really clever sometimes. And this is, I love what he does next here, okay? Because look at this next part. After he asks those questions, look what he says. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? What an odd question, right? Corinthians, what is Paul? It sounds like a weird philosophical debate, right? Who am I? But he, he does something really clever here because, catch this, we, we will lose sight of the bigger picture here, and this is what Paul's recognizing, but he, he, he asks this question, who do you think I ultimately am? H- how would you define me? In other words, kind of similar to what Jesus is asking Peter, right? Who do you say that I am? And Paul says, I want you to recognize who I am. And Paul answers this great thing. He says, we are servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned. Paul says, you're focused on the wrong guy. I am not that special because what Paul does is he compares himself to God. And he says, look, I want you to say, here on one hand is is the Lord Jesus and here is me. And Paul says, you know what I am? I am a servant of the Lord. Paul knows who he is. He's, he, he asks this, uh, essentially, this rhetorical question with an obvious answer. You've, he says, I am Paul. I am a servant of the Lord. You need to change your loyalty and your admiration to him. It's God whom we serve. Worship him. See, there's nothing necessarily wrong with preference, but when preference starts to become prioritized, and get in the way of our faith in the Lord, that's when it becomes unhealthy, and that's what is what's happening here. So Paul starts, and he addresses issues. He starts with himself, and he says, please do not elevate me to the point of God. I'm not that. I am, I'm, I'm called to serve the Lord. But this is the part that I really love. This is the part of the passage that I really want to talk about this morning. Look at verse 6 again here. This is, this is so, so good. Verse 6 says this, I planted, Apollos watered, Remember this verse, but God gave the growth. Paul was clear on his, uh, the purpose of his ministry. God had called him to go to the world and preach the good news. The, the seed here that we're talking about is the word of God. It's the gospel message itself, right? So Paul knew in his whole story, and many of you know Paul's kind of more his, his, his layout of his life, when Paul finally meets the Lord Jesus Christ and he, he places his faith in him, from that day forward, Paul knows what he's called to do. He goes around and he constantly preaches the word of God to people. He knew his purpose. Apollos, another person that comes in, he came in after the fact, he comes into the church and he really helps continue to disciple it. Apollo seems to know what his purpose is as well. But, but Paul uses this very simple but effective analogy of farming, right? That one person plants a seed and one person waters the seed. But we're reminded something here, okay? Because Paul says, but despite that, despite how many seeds we plant, despite how often we water it, Paul and Apollos cannot make a seed grow. You can't do it. And that's where we're reminded about something very important here when it comes to people and their relationship with God. And that is, we can share God's word and his truth as much as possible, and we should. We're going to talk about that. But when it comes to people's spiritual growth and their relationship with God, that is left solely to him. 
Each does their part. Paul says, I did one thing, Apollos did another thing. But notice, neither separately nor together does this mean that the seed will grow. Just because we share the gospel, and, and I know this even in my own personal experience with people, just because we share the gospel, just because we share God's word, even repeatedly, it doesn't mean that a person grows in their faith because God has to do that. I, I've been trying to grow like a little tiny herb garden in my kitchen, and I, I like to think I have somewhat of a green thumb, Okay, I don't kill every plant that I've ever owned, but I've been trying. I got this little window seal um, right outside my kitchen, and it gets lots of sun, so I was like, you know, it'd be great. I'm just going to, like, plant some seeds, little herbs. Guys, I've been trying for, like, three months. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it reminds me that I planted a seed. It's in there. I can physically prove to you there's a seed in that soil, and I promise you I've watered it, and nothing happens. Because we can plant, we can water, but we can't force something to grow. And that's what Paul reminds us of. However, there is something really neat as well with this. It's, it's not our job to bring people into relationship with Jesus. It's our job to let them know about it, to be aware of it, to see it in our lives. The reason is very important. We can't cause growth either in ourselves or even in other people, simply because the growth that we're talking about here is the result of a transformed heart and mind that reflects the person of Jesus. There's a you know, popular Christian phrase, right? We talk about, are we growing in our relationship with the Lord? Right? Have you ever heard this phrase, Jesus? Like, hey, are you growing? Right? Well, it, it's, it comes straight out of Second Peter, right? Where G, Peter talks about, may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But remember, this requires something that has to happen inside of us. Because you can know a lot of knowledge about the scripture, and yet your heart can be far from the Lord. Something has to happen internally for us to be truly drawn and grow in our love and our appreciation for the Lord. Our hearts and minds have to be changed. And the only person who is capable of changing the heart and mind is the designer and the author of our hearts and mind. As much as we like to think, we do not have the power to change people. Let me repeat that. As much as we like to think, we do not have the power to change people. We can influence people, we can impact them, we can, it can often appear that what we've done has changed them, but only God can change the hearts and minds of people. We need to know this as individuals. We need to know this as a church. Because here's what I want to get at this morning. When you understand that, when you and I understand that our job is to either plant or water, and that we are ultimately in charge of the growth, it starts to set a tone to which we go about living our lives. We're not caused to called to cause the growth we are called and catch this here as the passage as well Paul says we are co-laborers God's the great farmer we just get to work in his field we're not caused to call growth we're called as co-laborers that hopefully provide the opportunity of growth by being faithful Romans 10 I love Paul's question here he says how are people able to believe in whom they've never heard 
How are they to hear without someone preaching? I hope that it's been clear for those of you who've been here for a while that our, our prayer, our desire is that this community that we are in would, would come to know the gospel. That people would come to know the richness of who Jesus is. And that everything that we do here would hopefully allow that. Whether that's raking leaves for people whether that's serving the school, whether that's having Sunday morning services, we have to trust that God will use all of that. I love the parable of the sower. Uh, Some of you will remember this. uh, Jesus uses this great analogy. He talks about, in a very similar fashion here, he talks about how a farmer goes out to sow seeds, and the idea of sowing seeds was you, you basically just take a handful and you throw it out into the open field. And if you remember the story, um, Jesus talks about that the seed, once again being the word of God, it will fall into one of four soils. One of the soils, the seed dies instantly. Uh, One of the soils, it doesn't gain much of a root, and so it dies pretty quickly. Another one, another soil is when uh, the seed falls, it starts to grow up, but then it gets choked out by all the weeds and everything else. But there's one last soil. It's rich soil. It's where the seed goes in and it takes root and it grows and it has a strong root foundation. And all of a sudden it grows up and it starts to produce. Jesus in that that parable is reminding us that we have to keep spreading the word. You don't stop. Just Just because you throw the seed out and maybe that time it does get snatched up, you don't stop. You keep planting because hopefully the seed, the word of God, will hopefully then take root one day. But we still, even if we throw seed onto good soil, we still don't cause it to grow. We just keep throwing seed. We keep watering it. So as co-laborers in God's mission to spread his love, we're called to share in any way that we can, but we have to trust that he alone will reach the hearts of people. Kind of want, I want to close with just kind of a few last thoughts here. Um, as Paul continues going on in the, in the chapter here, he, he, he does something to, I, I think it's kind of the final stamp here that, that to really seal this issue of division in the Corinthians church. And he brings this awesome statement. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. If, you, if you'll jump to chapter 4 here with me, um, this is how Paul kind of lands it here. He says, First uh, Corinthians 4, uh, verse 1, he says, this is how you should regard us. Okay, very simple statement. Okay, Corinthians, remember this. If you want to really know who we are, think of this. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And this is my favorite part. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I, I want you to please take this in. Okay, this has been the, the, probably the most encouraging verse to me, um, not just as a pastor, but as a co-laborer with all of you that, that desired for people to come to know the gospel, that in this verse, Paul says something brilliant. He says, remember, God has called you as servants to do one thing, be faithful. Notice, he doesn't say that as, as labor, as co-laborers, as servants, that you have to have certain talents, that you have to have certain abilities, that you have to have your life together at all times. No, he says, servants 
of the Lord required to be one thing, and that is faithful. Remember this. God has plenty of talent. God has plenty of abilities. He doesn't need us to have any particularly. He can work through us in any possible way. He says, I just need you to be faithful. If you will go out and you will spread the seed, if you will go out and water the seed, I will take care of the growth. See, to me, that gives me freedom. That gives me encouragement that it's not all on me. That, that I am called to simply be a vessel for God and let him take over. But as encouraging as that is, I recognize something else. That's hard. You know why? Because in order to do that, we have to trust God. And in order to trust God, we have to give up control. There is a very fine but distinct line between being faithful and having control. Faithfulness is, the, is an attitude of trust in Jesus that he will take care of all things. Control is an attitude of pride whereby we believe we become the agents of change for people. Right? Parents, we do this with kids. If I can just get in there. Ah, if I could just get them to really understand it this way, that'll do it. We do this with spouses, with friends, you name it. Right? If they would just understand my perspective, if I could just get, if I could just do enough of this in their life, that would turn it around. We believe this because that's what we strive for. And I think one of the, the things that we have to be aware of is that even as those who follow Christ that, that seek to do this, one of the, the things, that I, why I call it the fine but distinct line is, I think sometimes we, we start with the attitude of faithfulness. Okay, God, I know I can't change things. I know I can't control things. So I'm just going to remain faithful. I'm going to do the things that you're calling me to do. But we, so we start doing that. But what happens, right? God's never on our timetable, is he? God, you're not going as fast as I'd like you to. And God, I, have you ever thought about maybe this? Let me, let me try this, God. I, I got it for a sec. I'll, I'll come tap you in here in just a minute. Let me try this first. That's that fine distinction between faithfulness and control. And we can very easily shift from trusting in God to handle all things to taking it into our own hands. For me personally, here's one of the things that I do uh, when I'm facing situations or with people or otherwise, um, you know, I have to start with prayer. I start and I end with prayer because, you know, I think about being a husband or a father or, um, you know, my job or anything else in my life and I want to do the very best I can. I want to do the best things I can for the people in my life. And so I want to start and I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to who Jesus is. I want to be faithful to what he's called me to do. And I'll start there. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll pray and I'll say, God, is what I'm doing, am I trusting you to use that or am I doing that because I think that will ultimately lead to it? So there's a fine line there. I'll close with this. If I can encourage us, though, to think about this idea that we are called to, to plant, to water, and let God grow things. Here's a couple things that I want to encourage us with. First is this. God will never, ever let an ounce of faithfulness go to waste. We sometimes, when, whenever we do things, I think we, we have this desire to want to see instant results. 
Sometimes that's not how God works. Sometimes God uses things later in life. Sometimes he uses things down the road or it's part of a bigger picture. But know this, that God will never let an ounce of faithfulness go to waste. Second, there is freedom in giving all things to the Lord. That when we can truly begin to trust God for all things, that something really amazing begins to happen. So my, my, my heart, especially as we start 2020 with this campus, is I think of this verse. I think about how I, I, I want to see us be this, that our desire, our passion is to spread the gospel into, into this community, but we're going to let God change hearts and minds. And we're going to be faithful as a group of people to remaining, to doing what we can. Whether that's being a greeter at the door, whether that's talking to people in this room, whether that's being a part of anything, you name it, may we trust that God will take every ounce of that and do something with it. And in that, I think, is something beautiful. Let's pray. And then I got just a few announcements, and we'll close with the song this morning. God, it truly is hard to, to say it's all in your hands. God, we, we, want to, we want to feel in charge and in control of things sometimes, but God, there's also freedom in knowing that when we are faithful to you, God, you do something with it. And the reason, God, is because you are faithful. No one is more faithful than you, God. In fact, you can't be anything other than faithful. You can't be anything other than good. And so, God, as I think about um, us as a community here, as I think about uh, families and, and individuals in this room, God, may, may really resonate in our hearts this week this idea that if we can be faithful to you, you will take care of things. God, we believe that even in our own lives, that you can change our hearts. You can grow our hearts. And that's my prayer this morning, God. Thank you for our time. Thank you for bringing everybody here to gather for um, a time of celebration. Lord, we're thankful for all you do. Amen. Hey.